grab your popcorn, sharpen your knives, and get ready to savor the flavors of the movies. Welcome to Filmmaker's Cookbook. Each episode, we're cooking up a storm inspired by our favorite films, and we're not afraid to get creative. On this episode, we're continuing down AFI's top 20 films, and just in time for May 4th. And who's behind the aprons, you might ask? Let's meet our host. I am, as always, Michelangelo, and I'm joined by the one, the only, Charles. Hello. It's Jedi to you. Yes, sorry. But cinephile you are. Actually, like, I feel like I I feel like I'd be probably dark yeah. dark side. You don't you don't like sand because it's coarse and rough and gets everywhere. And I believe in absolutes. Only the Sith believe in absolutes. And of course, if you haven't picked it up from any of the things we just said, today on this episode, we're going to be talking about the 1977 film Star Wars, or how it has now been renamed Star Wars A New Hope. So Star Wars A New Hope is a 1977 American epic space opera film directed, written by George Lucas. The film is the first installment in the Star Wars franchise, and it follows the journey of a young boy named Luke Skywalker, who is played by Mark Hamill. Luke discovers his destiny as a Jedi Knight and joins a rebellion against the evil empire led by the ruthless Darth Vader, who is voiced by James Earl Jones. With the help of Han Solo, a roguish smuggler, played by Harrison Ford, and Princess Leia, a leader of the rebellion, who is played by Carrie Fisher. Luke and his allies embark on a daring mission to destroy the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, a moon-sized battle station capable of destroying entire planets. Along the way, they face thrilling battles in space and on the ground, encounter strange creatures in exotic worlds, and learn about the power of the Force, a mystical energy that binds the galaxy together and gives the Jedi their abilities. Star Wars is a beloved classic that has influenced countless films and pop culture. It is a timeless tale of adventure, heroism, and the power of hope, with iconic characters and unforgettable moments that continue to captivate audiences to this day. Chase, are you ready to talk about this film? Yes. Are you ready to turn this iconic film into a dish? I think I am. Great. Train me. Train me, Yoda. I may not be Yoda, but perhaps you could call me Luke, because today we have a very special guest who is a veteran in the film industry. With over two decades of experience as a sound engineer, he has worked on numerous commercials, TV shows, and movies, too many to name in this introduction alone. But don't just take my word for it. You can easily check out his impressive IMDb page. Who am I talking about? Well, uh, the one, the only, he is my father. No, just kidding. He really is my father. Anyways, welcome my dad, Michael J. White. Hello, Michael. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me on. Of this course. Is, uh, interesting. My, my first podcast. Nice. I'm glad to be able to be the first for this. So, yeah. So in this podcast, we're going to be pretty much talking about the film Star Wars, just in general, just kind of have a good time kind of trying to discuss some maybe interesting things or facts or just like some experiences. And then in the second half, we're going to kind of convert those feelings and stuff that we talked about in the first part into more or less ingredients ingredients and try to come up with a dish that we think best represents this film. Like uh, blue milk from Tatooine. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> that's about the only thing I can think of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. Well, perfect. I think this is going to go swimmingly. The reason why I wanted to ask you on to this episode, Dad, was because one, as a child, you showed me this film and to this day it has become one of my favorite films. And I know that it is, I think, hopefully still... <laughs> 
one of your favorite films. Yes, it is. Your love for this film started from when you were first a kid. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts the first time watching this film. How did you first hear about this film? And what was your experience first watching in the movie theater as a child? Well, you know, Star Wars, I call it the first one when we all know it's episode four. But when it came out, it was the first Mm. one. And it's a film that really changed the film industry forever. And in many cases, changed culture in the world forever. It's a really milestone film in many ways. Before... Star Wars came out, you know, science fiction films weren't very popular. In 69, you had 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a very wonderful film, but a very slow and laborious film. (laughs) Special effects were great, but it wasn't what you would call a blockbuster. Young kids weren't going to see it, mostly adults. It was very hard to understand. Up until that point, really, science fiction films were all B-movies or low-budget independent films. I mean, the only other really big sci-fi film that a studio had made was The Day the Earth Stood Still back in the mid-1950s. Again, that was 20th Century Fox 2. It would also go along to eventually create Star Wars. So, but I loved science fiction movies. And anytime on Saturday afternoons that they'd be playing on television, reruns or, you know, old movies would be shown in our local TV station. I was always watching them. And of course, I was a big Star Trek fan from the 1960s. Mm. But yet, you know, the Star Trek movies hadn't come out yet because it wasn't until Star Wars was a success that Paramount would push to make the Star Trek movies. So Star Trek was definitely something that was different. Now, I first learned about it one day at a bookstore. And I'm not a big reader, or at least I wasn't at that time as a kid. When Star Wars came out, which was in 1977, I was 13 years old. A few months earlier, I was at a bookstore and I saw this gold-covered paperback book that said Star Wars on it and had this picture of some robots and stuff. And I picked it up and looked at it and it said it's a soon-to-be major motion picture. And this was kind of like the novelization of the screenplay, basically. And it had pictures inside of the different characters, robots and ships and this guy wearing a black mask and a black cape and all this stuff and these laser-type swords and I thought it was pretty interesting, so I bought the copy of it, and I still have it on my shelf in my home right now. Oh, wow. And I read it, and, you know, it said it was going to be coming out sometime in the near future, so I kept my eyes out for it when it came out. Now, when Star Wars came out, it was released on May 25th, 1977. You also got to remember, really, until Jaws came out two years earlier, 1975, most motion pictures weren't released in the summer. The studios thought that releasing a movie in the summer when people are going to be vacationing and kids are playing outside and various things. So most movies were released in the fall, Christmas time, springtime. Jaws kind of, you know, became the first modern blockbuster. Up until then, the blockbusters that you, people would call blockbusters in the 40s, 50s, and 60s were mostly the big budget epics, you know, Cleopatra, Ben-Hur, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, that kind of stuff. They were blockbusters in the way they were, they were made. They were big and on the big screen and big production. And many of them made a lot of money, but not the kind of money that Jaws made in 75. And it became the highest grossing movie of all time. 
when Jaws came out. And the studios at that time started thinking that, hey, maybe the summer, you know, we can start releasing more movies in the summer. When Star Wars came out in 77, two years after Jaws, of course, it became a huge blockbuster. And the term blockbuster really changed at that point and became this thing where it just becomes a phenomena and, and a lot of money is being made at the box office and the wide release and things like that. But when Star Wars first came out, though, the studio didn't think it was going to be anything at all. They, they hated it. The president of Fox hated it. The board of directors hated it. The shareholders were uneasy about it because the budget at that time for Star Wars was $11 million, which today is like nothing. That's like a low budget movie. Mm-hmm. Back then, that was a pretty good sum of money. George Lucas had made a couple decent films. You know, he had made THX 1138 in 1971, which was a film that he made that was based on a student film that he did at USC called THX 1138. And then he did another film in 73, which was actually a pretty big hit called American Graffiti. And, uh, you know, the budget on that was only like less than $800,000, but it made like $140 million at the box office worldwide. So it was a pretty big hit. And because of that, that kind of what propelled Fox to give Lucas a chance at making Star Wars. But like I said, the studio itself, they were really leery about making this movie. Now, Alan Ladd Jr., he was the head of production on 20th Century Fox at the time, and he was a real big fan of George Lucas and Star Wars. But the board of directors, uh, they came to Alan Ladd Jr. and they said, hey, can you get Lucas to cut his monies that he's getting on this film? Because he was the writer and director and you know, kind of producer and kind of doing lots of other stuff too. And so that hey, can you, you know, get him to take less money, less points, stuff like that to kind of ease the budget so when we show it to the shareholders, they're not so scared of this $11 million budget. So Lucas responded and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll lower my costs that I'm getting for making this film, but I want 100% of the merchandising for this film. Now, merchandising would be like, you know, the toys, the games, the t-shirts, any, anything you can think of that's not the film, but it has to do with the film. Now, at that time, there wasn't much in the way of merchandising for movies in Hollywood. So Alan Ladd and people at Fox said, sure, you can have 100% of the merchandising as long as we get our lowered you know, fees from you. And so, the, of course, the rest is history because that 100% merchandising that Lucas got made him a billionaire in time and let him go ahead and create the other Star Wars films. And most of those ones, he even, especially the newer ones, he bankrolled all himself without even having the studio, having to put any money on it. So he was able to do whatever he wanted you know, from that point on. So when Star Wars opened on uh, May 25th, 1977, it only opened, you know, in a limited numbers of theaters. I mean, anywhere between 300 and 500 theaters. And then instantly, just like literally overnight, I mean, people were lining up to see the movie and it became a huge hit. And then Fox expanded to a much wider release and slowly over the weeks and months it expanded more and more and more uh, more theaters. So when it first came out then, the area you grew up in, did it like start out playing there or did you have to wait for it to gradually come to a theater that was close to you? No, it was actually playing a theater that's literally just two miles from my house right now. The theater's still there, but it's not, it's abandoned now. It's not open anymore, but the theater is still there. I drive by it all the time and I always say, hey, that's where I saw Star Wars for the very first time. Nice. Yeah, so it open and of course I went and I saw it and I was just mesmerized you know but it was interesting because when Star Wars you know the, the opening titles come up and it says episode four and I'm, I'm thinking like episode four did I, did I miss something I don't remember there being any any yeah. other episodes you know Lucas he he laid out the whole story in his own mind and wrote some of that down for like a whole 
saga, you know, for like nine films. He didn't have all the screenplays written and some of the backstory of the various characters and the story arcs and everything. So from what I've heard is that he thought that episode four would be a good place to start because it introduces a lot of different characters that you then can kind of veer off from and go different story directions with either in that original nine series saga or in spinoffs and other films and stuff like that which no one was even talking about really at that time yet yeah so perhaps you could talk about that what were franchises like back then back in the 70s were there multi-movie deals or the only really franchise that anyone really looked for every two three years was the james bond movies you know they had been around since the 60s so they were 15 you know 10 to 15 years in those series of films and those were another series of films that I really liked as a kid and I always you know at the end of the James Bond movie it always say James Bond will return in you know The Spy Who Loved Me or whatever the next movie was going to be and I was like oh cool you know and then two years later maybe three years later that movie would come out and I was always there you know usually opening weekend to see it just like I did with Star Wars but you didn't have franchises and that's one of the things that I can go through a list of different things here that Star Wars really changed in the film industry and you know that's one of the things that it really did and as I was talking earlier about Lucas getting the the 100% of the merchandising well, Star Wars came out and became a hit pretty quickly. And, you know, today that kind of stuff like toys or games or T-shirts or whatever it is usually comes out before the film even is released in theaters. They start selling stuff all, all automatically, you know. Back then they didn't. And there was no, you know, licensing agreements in place to make any toys. Uh, Lucas signed a deal with Kenner Toys, but they were unable to get toys ready for the Christmas 1977, you know, time period. And so they were grasping for ideas and the toy makers divide this early bird certificate. Your mom or dad would buy you this little piece of paper, a little cardboard thing that had like the pictures some, of some action figures and stuff like that. And it basically said that, hey, you mail this in and you're going to be basically on a, on a list. And when we have these ready, we'll send you the toys and mail them to you. So in like February of 78, they started shipping these little mailer boxes. And uh, there was like four action figures in each box. There was Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. And those were like the first four. And then you could get the other ones would come later. So it wasn't until 78, 79, 80 that, you know, you really started getting stuff coming out. Like I was already at this point, like a year or two into making my own movies. I love, you know, watching TV and watching movies and I wanted to you know start making my own little movie so I bought a Super 8 movie camera in like 1976 77 and started making my own little films you know and most of them were, were like little sci-fi things a year after Star Wars came out so it was the summer of 1978 me and my friends we made our own Star Wars movie so it was like a half hour version our version of Star Wars and we built all the costumes and props and everything ourselves because there wasn't anything available you couldn't go down to you know Toys R Us and buy the whole Stormtrooper outfit like you can now that looks really awesome it's got the you know the full real looking helmet or the Darth Vader stuff all our stuff was made out of cardboard spray painted and taped together and using whatever we had laying around to to create all the stuff you know and we made our own you know laser guns out of just like empty cans and added stuff to it and then we actually scratched the film so we'd like frame by frame we'd look at the Super 8 film and someone was supposed to be shooting their laser gun and we'd actually do little scratch marks on the film so it looks like it looked like a laser was 
coming out. That was the only thing we could do because we didn't have nice. the computers or anything like that like you do now. So it was really, really simple. It's like you look at it now and you go, oh, that's pretty horrible. But we thought it was great. And then we would take the film to school and show it to people at school and school started back up again. And then, you know, we started making more and more movies after that. You took it to the local theater, right, as well? Uh, no, we had local screenings at different places, that one, and then our other films that we would make. Because we were also, like I said, I was a big James Bond fan. So most of the movies, besides the little sci-fi things I was making, were like James Bond ripoff type stories and they were like an hour long they were pretty long and they we got like local police department and different people involved let us use their police cars and their jail or whatever we needed and airplanes and things like that so we did all kinds of stuff as best we could with no budget basically and not having any again any computers to do any kind of special effects everything had to be done in camera or like I said scratching the film later to, to do stuff so it was pretty uh, simple and, and that's one of the things you know that Star Wars really revolutionized Star Wars was the first film to gross over $300 million worldwide. And that really set the standard for blockbuster films, you know, and it paved the way for other franchises, which Lucas and Spielberg would do next with Indiana Jones, you know, and then Jurassic Park. And of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all that stuff, you know. And of course, like I said before, the merchandising, Star Wars was the first to capitalize on merchandising, you know, creating a massive toy industry and clothing. And and of course, that approach has been adopted by pretty much just about any film today. And of course, special effects, they really revolutionized blue screen technology. I mean, it had been around for a long time, but they really pushed the envelope. And then, of course, Lucas with Industrial Light and Magic and CGI and Jurassic Park. And uh, sound was also a big thing, too. Of course, my background in motion pictures mostly is in the, the post-production and sound, as you know. You know, the sound design of the Star Star Wars franchise has become iconic. The way they use, you know, unique sound effects and coming up with stuff, layering it, you know, it really pushed the envelope for sound design and sound mixing. The music, of course. I had the album. I went out and bought that right away. I don't. I think everybody had the album back then. I would just listen to it over and over and over all day long, just the whole John Williams score for Star Wars. You know, and of course, the Star Wars franchise, eventually, you know, you, you have all this fan culture, you know, you have the Comic-Con and all these Star Wars, you know, things that they have it around the world. That really came from Star Wars, you know, so you, yeah, you, it has its own day now. <laughs> so yeah, and so in its initial release, you know, Star Wars budgeted 11 million made 410 million dollars worldwide so i think fox must have been pretty happy when they got that money back <laughs> and if you look at the highest grossing movies adjusted for inflation today you know gone with the wind is like number one avatar is two titanic is three and star wars episode four is number four you know even though it's a, a film that's been out for a long time it's still made a lot of money uh, when it did come out in 1977. I think some of that is also what is so unique about the Star Wars franchise is that it really hasn't left the cultural zeitgeist since no. it, it was born into the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, it hasn't. And like we were talking about earlier about franchises and spinoffs. I mean, like I said, one of the other things that Star Wars was one of the first franchises to create an expanded universe, you know, of not only movies, but of novels and comics and games. And now we see that full bore with all the Marvel, you know, their cinematic universe and all their movies and spinoffs. And of course, the sequels and prequels and, you know, and that's all great, you know, but it's also one of the things 
that really damaged the film industry because now the studios are so set in their ways that like everything has to be has to be either a prequel or a sequel or based on a TV show. And if it's not that, we don't want to make it. You know, that's kind of how how the studios are now. And at, you know, at that time when Star Wars came out, the audience for movies at the, the studios, most of the, most of the movies that were being made were kind of very wide, broad ideas. You know, uh, they were trying to make movies that that would be like accessible or you know appealing to a wide range of people. They weren't just targeting a specific audience. What they found out when Star Wars came out was that this audience of boys, mainly boys from like 12 to 24 years old, were the main group of people that were going to see this movie and that was a a group of people that they never really you know except for maybe disney they weren't looking at as a viable audience because those people most of those people don't have money but their parents have money and so now the studios that is their main demographic that they're trying to make movies for for most of the films that they're doing is that 12 to 24 25 year old range of boys you know because of that again like i said you get a lot of really bad movies and movies that are just overblown, too loud, too too much too many visual effects, too much sound. So where Star Wars did it in a very, I don't know, I want to say gentle way. I mean, if you look back at some of their like their very first Star Trek movies compared to the Star Trek movies now, one thing that I don't like about a lot of this new stuff like with the Marvel stuff or the new Star Wars, I haven't even seen some of the latest Star Wars, you know, movies and spin-offs and stuff because I just don't really care for them like the editing is too quick the shots are too you know uh, chaotic and moving too much and the story isn't doesn't build enough and the dialogue is limited you look back at the original star wars film the original star trek movies they'll hold on a shot for 20 30 seconds sometime and not cut away and the camera's on a dolly or a steady cam flying in on a close-up of the actor or, you know, spinning around or something. They're just static, beautiful shots. You know, the cinematography is great. The music's awesome. And the shots are composed and there's visual effects in it or whatever. And it all looks great and it's entertaining and you get it. And you don't have to be bombarded with, you know, the kind of stuff that they're doing today, which again, I think is mainly because they're trying to keep the 12 to 24-year-old boys happy. And, you know, they think that the only way they're going to keep them happy is by, you know, knocking them on the head with this non stop barrage of visual and audible effects and stuff and and it's iconographic i think that's what's missing from some of the newer releases of these giant multi-year franchises is that there's no one image that you can like look at and think that's what the movie is whereas Mm -hmm. if you look at some of the images from a new hope there are these like kind of iconic images like i think of when we first meet luke we see him outside of his hole in the ground home and you see the two sons like, mm-hmm. where's that image for the newer Star Wars? And I can't think of any image that sticks in my mind, except for maybe there's like one image of her kind of screaming at the, the screen. But again, that's like a heightened emotion and not like an iconographic image. It's like, a, I'm just getting one single emotion. <laughs> It's so much better that it is just this like classic way. You can really appreciate it when you kind of go and look at these old films and see kind of where all of this started. It's been, it's really cool. The other thing I wanted to say about when it was released, and this is something you don't, of course, see anymore because of the way the the industry is with streaming, everything streaming now, everyone wants to see it right away and... I don't know how many people even go into the movie theaters anymore, but when Star Wars first opened, it it was out in theaters for over a year. So like at your local theater, like here where I saw it at, it would have been playing that at that same theater for 
12 months or more. It never left. That's how much you know, business it was getting. And the same wow. thing when Empire Strikes Back came out, I went and saw that opening night. And then I remember like, you know, like a year gone by and I'm driving by the same movie theater where I just, I saw it months before. And it's like, it's still playing there. <laughs> nice. Uh, you, you don't get that anymore. How many times did you see it then in, in theaters during that year? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, probably 20 sometimes I probably went and saw it nice. at the theaters. It would have been like ninth grade, I guess, at that time, that year that the movie came out. So it came out like in May, like I said. So when we came back to school in September, a friend of mine, he had gotten some T-shirts you know, made up or something with Star Wars, the name on it and some images and stuff like that. And uh, he wore that these same t-shirts every single day for the entire school year. He didn't wear anything else but a Star Wars t-shirt. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's commitment. That, right that feels like a Star Wars fan. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I wanted to just kind of just say, because how Star Wars really has become this international phenomenon. I mean, no matter what country you go to, pretty much everyone knows Star Wars, and you got a lot of big fans. At the beginning of Star Wars, you know, it says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's kind of, you know, the tagline. But the original tagline, which they came up with, which they didn't use, because Lucas thought it was too long and really didn't like it, was a odyssey to the edge of your imagination and far beyond. Yeah, it doesn't quite capture it. Well, it doesn't maybe capture it in like a poster or that opening thing, but for the overall feeling or looking back at Star Wars now, I mean, it really is an odyssey, you know, to the edge of your imagination and far beyond. And no one could have predicted back then what it would have done to the culture in the world, really. You know, it, it has been an odyssey from where it started and where we are now and where it's going to and how it's changed people's lives in one way or the other. Why is it, do you think, that Star Wars captured the imagination and not some other random franchise? Uh, good question. The story-wise in that first one, it's very simple, good versus evil, but you also have some layering in there of what the good and what the evil is. Being that it's on a different in a different galaxy where there's no you know, preconceived ideas of like who the good and bad people are to us here on earth, you know, it's something totally new and it's fresh. So we're, we're able to like or dislike anybody really in it. And then all the action. I mean, it's almost like a, in some ways, like an old Western gunslingers coming into town, but this time instead of a guns on, you know, their belt, they've got blasters. And it's just something new, you know, uh, refreshing. The Westerns were dying out at that time, which were very popular in Hollywood and on television. Like I said, sci-fi was was only a B kind of movie. This, with all the beautiful special effects and music, just propelled it to something that people just never saw before. Now we've seen all the kind of stuff like this, so nothing is refreshing. You, you know, you guys go see something like this now. You've seen these kind of movies for the last, well, your whole lives. When I was 13, we hadn't, so it was brand new. So it'd be like someone going to, you know, a new country and exploring a new country that they've never seen before, a new type of food that they're tasting for the first time, or a new bottle of wine that's special that they've never had before. Star Wars just hit all the buttons for everybody, you know, boys, girls, young and old, you know, liked it. Yeah, it's definitely something that everyone could enjoy. It's such a, a well-balanced 
thing. I think the problem with us, like Chase and I, is that because we are in this day and age now, we're so saturated with all these big budget Marvel films that like, here's 20 famous actors, go watch them shoot laser beams from their hands for two hours. We didn't have this experience. We could live sort of through you and, and hearing this conversation and having this conversation could live back in the day where we didn't have all these oversaturated big budget Marvel films going on. But I, I wanted to maybe take a second now and, and just maybe try to come up with a dish that I think maybe could best represent this film, Star Wars. Should we break down the flavors first? I will definitely break down the flavors. So, Dad, we have this very scientific way that we decide dishes here. We try to break it down into the core emotions, and we try to translate those core emotions to flavors. So we have emotions such as anger, disgust, fear, sad, happy. And then we added uh, like a pseudo sixth emotion, which is surprise. And these are all connected to a flavor. So anger is umami or like savory, like a savory flavor. Disgust is sour. Fear is bitter. Sad is salty. Happy is sweet. And surprise is spicy. And spicy could be either like spicy in terms of like spices, kind of like, you know, black pepper or cumin or cinnamon, or it could also be like jalapeno, like hot spicy. And the other ones, I guess, should hopefully make sense in terms of like sweetness and those things. I would say that just surprise was probably my, because when I saw Star Wars for the first time, I was totally surprised. I was not, I had no idea what I was getting into, what I was seeing. And when I came out of the theater, I was just ecstatic and wanted to go back and see it again. Did, so were I you surprised it, still, even even each time you, you went back to see it or? Oh yeah, because each time I, I saw different things in it, I, you know, oh yeah, look at that. I you know, really started looking at the, you know, the frame and searching for stuff in there and you know, other little bits and pieces pieces of the set or whatever and uh yeah it was just i was surprised always and uh happy i guess i mean not not so happy like you're laughing because it's not funny you know necessarily some there was some funny lines in it definitely between Mm -hmm. like carrie fisher and harrison ford some great stuff or r2d2 and c3po so there's there's laughter in it too you know i totally agree and i actually to throw it uh, my opinion onto this i kind of felt that and this is something that we talked about actually on the last episode of this this show, which is we were talking about Some Like It Hot and how it really balances the, the surprise and happy, the spicy and sweet of that film, which it also has these other flavors of a little bit of sad or fear. But, you know, it really balances all these flavors well together. And I think Star Wars is such a good example of a film that really balances all of these flavors really well into this dish. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like like you said, there's happy moments. Like, I think C-3PO and R2-D2 are just, like, somewhat of, like, a comic relief characters. But they're so, like, yeah. lovable and fun. But even, like, Han Solo has that funny line of when they're in the jail cell and he shoots the computer and says, oh, it wasn't an interesting conversation anyways. Like, there's all these, like, kind of just slight conversations and slight lines in the film that make you happy or just in general the it's a happy film because in the end, you know, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't watched it, but... It, they win in the end, right? They defeat the the evil. So like, there's like that happy feeling, 
but then you also have sadness as well you know obi-wan kenobi is is killed the alderaan is destroyed and like so many people die there are these like moments of sadness as well and then fear you have like are they gonna lose are like are they gonna be able to stop them in time before they the Death Star blows up the the Rebel base, and even like Darth Vader, the moment he walks mm-hmm. onto the screen for the first time, there's just like this deep sense of like fear and how strong and and imposing this character is. And then you know, I guess disgust as well, and how it goes off into Darth Vader as well in terms of how menacing he is and how easily he's he makes these des- decisions to just destroy an entire planet of people. You know, oh, yeah, and then anger. He's one of the best movie villains of all time. I mean, it's just it's per- he's perfect, you know, for a villain. <laughs> yeah, definitely iconic for sure. And, and you know, so well set up. I, I rewatched this movie last night uh, in preparation for this, and all the lines talking about all these lines about Luke's father, and all these lines about his legacy and his Jedi dad. All of that being building up to this grand reveal of Darth Vader. Such expert setup. Exactly. And, you know, I just want to finish off my long explanation of these flavors. But and there's also anger moments, too, of course, you know, like you are upset at times, like when when Obi-Wan dies or different things, you feel sad, but you're like upset that they lost and not like anger, anger. But there's like these moments of these strong, tragic, deep flavors that are, are in there, which will pull out to that umami savory flavor as well. So I will say that, like, what I really appreciate about this film is how everyone can enjoy this film from any country you know like there's so many people in japan that i know that just love star wars and also grew up with it it's so well balanced that everyone can enjoy it everyone can taste it and be like wow this is perfectly balanced dish mm-hmm. so now we have the hard part here i know actually chase if you disagree with that then then say something or forever hold your peace no i completely agree i think it's i think one of the things that this movie does that perhaps few movies before it had done was really balance all the flavors and have like little pockets of little flavors. You know, one scene here might be, you know, a little happy moment with the droids. One scene here might be this really tragic moment with the loss of Luke's aunt and uncle or like these, all these scenes that are juxtaposed and completely sending you on this emotional journey all throughout the film that you never know what's going to come next. That it's hard to even say like, like sometimes we give a percentage to how much we think a flavor is dominant within the movie and I, I'm not even sure I could say anything other than I think it, it's spicy that's the only one because you're just never sure what's going to happen next and something crazy is always coming around the corner definitely now we have this tough decision to come up with a dish that best represents this I do have an idea and I kind of wanted to pitch this to the two of you and see what y'all think about it my initial thought about this after talking about it and, and really thinking about these uh, flavors and how well it's balanced. Star Wars also is such a, like an American movie, which is it's it's loved globally, but it's like the product of almost practically started modern, you know, like you said, blockbuster films. So it has like it's like this soul of America. So my idea here is a burger and French fries. So I know it doesn't sound like super high class. However, I think it it's a, a dish that is loved globally and can be perfectly balanced in all these things. I, I like it. 
I like burgers. But here's here's another idea too. I okay. Mean, this is kind of out in left field, but you said it was an American film, and it is. It's you know financed and by an American studio, but actually it was all all the interiors at least for the first three Star Wars films and some of the other ones were all filmed in in England. Most of it at Elstree Studios. So that's why you have a lot of the cast members are British. Most of the production people are British. So I was thinking fish and chips. Oh. Okay, gotcha. You know, that's funny you I, mentioned... I guess you could put some hot sauce on it, too, and it could be a little bit spicy, fish and chips. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Or So that's funny that you mentioned that, Dad, actually, because the other thing I was going to say was actually like some Japanese food. I was thinking something Japanese because it has a lot of almost like these Japanese samurai. undertones, like oh. the samurai and like yeah. the Jedi are kind of like this samurai Bushido samurai. Yeah. kind of that's... code kind of thing. That's a so lot was, what it's based on, yeah. So I kind of thought that too, but I actually I am I am digging this uh, fish and chips idea too. Chase, what do you have any ideas or what do you think? Yeah, so I was going towards kind of an American idea as well. I was thinking of spicy chicken wings, and then since we've been talking so much about blue milk, it occurred to me that milk is really great as a a way of dealing with spices. And so like like if you have really hot spicy chicken wings, you can drink milk to try and like cool it down because of some interaction between the enzymes. But anyway, chemistry. I think that that interplay kind of feels a lot like how the Star Wars franchise feels to me, which is this really great balancing of, of bold, spicy flavors, tragic moments, and also these sweet comedic moments that kind of undercut it and make it all very palatable and easy to watch. And so I was thinking maybe spicy chicken wings with a side of blue milk. Do we have to pick one of these? I, I like them all. Mikey, I like them all. Mikey, you can have your burger. Chase can have his chicken wings and I'll have my fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of do like this fish and chips idea though. I do too. Because we haven't had any fish and chips on any other meal movie before. So the only thing reason why I said hamburger is because you can also like add jalapenos to it or like you can make it spicy. What I'm imagining with this fish and chips though is like a a homemade tartar sauce does it have horseradish am i right or am i wrong there most fish and chips in england you're gonna have vinegar like a malted vinegar with it that's which is gonna be you know a little stingy not necessarily spicy but that's probably more going into that like bitter sour kind of flavor i would assume i honestly feel like fish and chips is perfect i love it for it i think it meets everything in this this dish that represents kind of out of this worldness fish and chips from a galaxy far far away we'll have to find like a name for the fish like a galaxian <laughs> because in the movie star wars do you remember them besides the the blue milk do you remember them eating anything anywhere i mean in the cantina you kind of see people drinking but do you ever see anybody really eating anything no that's the thing actually that's that's, that's a good point because in it wasn't really into recent movies, I think, or TV shows even, that you really see them eating or drinking things, which is true. But we can arrange it as like a hangar or some of that where the fish is like a ship, you know? You Ooh, have a, like a like a, like a Millennium Falcon-shaped fish. And actually, you know, I was thinking about this a little more. If, you, if you're making fish and chips, you know, sometimes you add seasonings to the, the flour or different things like that, like, like paprika or some cayenne pepper. So I can easily see how this could be like a slightly spicy thing or like not spicy and like, wow, hot, but like a little nice balance of spice. So I kind of just want to like throw that back in there, you know, and I, I also really love the the names for the androids that are the like robots and like R2D2. 
So it could be like a fish and chips 3PO or something like that, you know, like <laughs> that could be a fun kind of name for it. But of course, maybe um, isn't Admiral Akbar who's like a fish, isn't he going to be upset that we chose <laughs> fish though? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I kind of like the idea of the the spicy flavoring being in whatever we bread the fish with, and then the fish being kind of like shaped like a Millennium Falcon, like a disc with like a little triangle, I guess, off on one corner, and then like little little chip. What are the what are the the uh, not the X wigs, but the the dark side Tie fighters. fighters, Tie fighters, Tie fighters, yeah. Like little TIE fighter chips, nice. like chasing after it. I like it. What do you think, Dad? Yeah. And then you could have uh, Death Star hush puppies. Oh, I was actually, <laughs> I was waiting to try to bring in hush puppies somehow into this. But So yeah, that, that's great, actually. It's like, is that a hush puppy? That's still it's a Death Star. <laughs> it would have yeah, to be I... breaded with something really dark so it looked like, um, you know, ominous, mysterious object. I love this. This is getting better and better. I like it too. And it's just a whole scene. Yeah, exactly. It's like a platter. It's like a, a platter dish, you know? Like you can you can grab a few friends, have a few drinks, and uh, gather around this platter of a, a scene that you had placed in front of you. Some fish and chips, some, some malt vinegar, and some hush puppies. Mm-hmm. A large hush puppy that is reminiscent of the Death Star. It's I'd eat this. Orb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just one large hush puppy. With like a circle drawn on one, one area. <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. I mean, actually, the sheer fact that that is identifiable as the Death Star, and I think it would be to like 90% of the people, is kind of amazing. What, what are we calling this? Or the Cantina Special. Oh, that works. I like that. That is yeah. great. The Cantina Blue Plate Special. Nice. With the blue milk. Yeah. Put some blueberries and, and some milk, the... and you got your blue milk. Perfect. And you have to have the music playing in the background at all times while you eat it. The Cantina theme song just playing yeah. on loop. Great. Well, I think that does it, actually. Yeah, I want to say thanks so much, Dad, for for joining us in this episode. I I had all these questions prepped, and you kind of just answered all my questions as you were just kind of going through everything. So that's great. It was great to have you, and it was great to like hear these stories. Well, thanks for inviting me. Sounds great. And uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Chase. It's been wonderful. Yeah, it was great to meet you. Same here. Yeah, we welcome back anytime. And if anybody out there listening has never seen Star Wars, go out and see it. <laughs> There's still some people I know that say, oh, I've never seen it. And I don't want to see it. And it's like, <laughs> just go, go see it. Go watch it. All right. Well, I would like to thank my father again for coming on this episode. It was a blast to have him on. A blaster, that is. I don't know. <laughs> and as always, I think... Let us know what you think about this episode. Do you think that this dish best represents this movie? Let us know on Instagram, at Twitter, at Film Cookbook. Leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And yeah, I think the great thing about this dish, Chase, I think just some closing remarks here is I think that I I really love how this dish came together at the end here. Um, I really see it, this fish and chips with the Death Star. But I do want to say that I think the perfect thing about this movie is that it could really easily be a hamburger or chicken wings. I think this movie to each person is definitely very unique that I could very well see it be like a smorgasbord of different dishes. But I do really love how I how we had this like scene playing out in front of us of this dish with the Millennium Falcon, these TIE fighters, and this Death Star 
we have like this iconic scene from the movie almost right on your plate and you can you know devour the millennium falcon uh or the death star you know and it has maybe that childishness to it as well where you can kind of play with your food in a way you know blow up the death star and and, and eat it or something you know and it kind of fits the action figures toy storyline too yeah that's true you know definitely like makes the food playable yeah, kind of like uh, when I was a kid and we would eat like the chicken nuggets that are shaped as dinosaurs. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever had those, but I would always play with them and be like, oh, the T-Rex ate the the other dinosaur. So I'm going to eat that now. Dip it in my ketchup. That's blood and just eat it. I don't think I ever thought about it as blood. But now that you say that, it does make sense. <laughs> right. OK, I was I guess I was smart as a kid or something. This fish dish is perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. See you all later. We'll see you in, in two weeks on another episode of Filmmaker's Cookbook. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. May the force be with you. Dang it. I I missed my opportunity to say that. May the force be with you, everyone. And what you can't see because it's a podcast is I'm doing the Star Trek V fingers. (laughs) Just to piss everyone off. (laughs) This is not the dish you're looking for. things you guys got to do for one of your next podcasts have you either of you seen the movie soylent green from 1973 <laughs> yeah yes, yes, that would be a fun one yeah just the yeah, dishes just people <laughs> <laughs>